Hello, and welcome to the All Terrain Podcast, brought to you by the Youth and Children's Ministries Unit of the Salvation Army in the United Kingdom and Ireland Territory. My name is Joe Taylor, and in each episode, a guest will be joining me to answer four questions about their real life journey and make four choices that help us take a hypothetical hike too. In this episode, I'm inviting you to join me and Brian McLaren for our hike as we explore themes of change, suffering, joy, and service. Brian McLaren is a best-selling author, internationally acclaimed speaker, and outspoken advocate for a new kind of Christianity. Named one of Time Magazine's 25 most influential evangelical Christians, McLaren was a pastor for over 20 years. He is a frequent guest on radio and television programs, and an in-demand blogger on faith and public policy. His previous books include A Generous Orthodoxy, The Secret Message of Jesus, and Faith After Doubt. In his most recent book, Brian McLaren explores reasons to leave or stay within the church, and if so, how. Do I Stay Christian addresses in public the powerful question that surprising numbers of people, including pastors, priests, and other religious leaders, are asking in private. Picking up after Faith After Doubt, Do I Stay Christian is not McLaren's attempt to persuade Christians to dig in their heels or run for the exit. Instead, he combines his own experience with that of thousands of people who have confided in him over the years to help readers make a responsible, honest and ethical decision about their religious identity. It is such a privilege to have the opportunity to talk to you today. Oh, thanks, um, And I've tried to sum up a little bit of what you do and your influence in my introduction, but I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the work that you're involved in and what everyday life looks like for you. I, uh, I live in, in southwest Florida, so I live in a place that's very hot, like uh, so much of the world is these days. Um, uh, but I spent most of my life uh, here in the U.S. living near Washington, D.C. in the little state of Maryland where I was a pastor. My, I started my career as a college English teacher. Then I became a pastor for 24 years in the same congregation. Um, during that time, I started writing because I saw deep changes happening uh, on, on almost every level, um, deep changes in the issues that people who were coming through our doors we're concerned about and we're struggling with. And I was experiencing deep changes in my own understanding. Uh, And uh, so I started writing about that. And for the last 16 years or so, I've been um, writing and speaking, working mostly with clergy and other religious leaders. Um, And part of what happened to me during uh, that that time uh, now, 20 years ago, is that I started to realize that the problems that I I believe really touch the heart of God are not just religious problems in churches, but God is concerned about the problems in our world, environmental destruction, climate change, uh, poverty, injustice, racism. And so I have been especially interested in these last 20 years or so and how we can help uh, people of Christian faith to, in a sense, join God in the healing of the world, rather than just being preoccupied with getting our own souls to heaven when we die or keeping our churches 
happy and prosperous. So that's, and so uh, I do everything I can to uh, further uh, that concern. Um, as well, I, I teach uh, these days with the Center for Action and Contemplation. Um, my, my friend and colleague, Richard Rohr, invited me to be part of the faculty a few years ago. Excellent. Um, and I know that I've really benefited from you taking those kind of personal musings into um, your written work. And as I've journeyed in my faith, I know that you've articulated things that have been really helpful for me. Um, and as a part of the Salvation Army, where um, living out our faith and making a difference to people's every day is so important, your articulation of the yes. theology around that has also been really useful um, for me and I know a number of others in the organisation. Um, so we ask every guest to make four choices and answer four questions as we travel together on our hypothetical hike. hike. And um, I'm wondering if we could go in with the first two choices. Um, the first is, can you tell me yes. where we're walking today? Uh, through much of my life, I lived in uh, the Washington, D.C. area. And uh, the, there's a big river that goes through the city. Uh, called the Potomac River. And there is a path that goes along the river for 180 miles. It's called um, the CNO Canal Path. There was a canal that was built along the river. And it still is one of my favorite places because you have the river running beside you. You're in a beautiful forest. It's a beautiful natural environment. And uh, I, whenever I think of a great place to take a walk, that's where I'd like to be. Excellent. I've not been there. It sounds brilliant. So I'm really happy to join you um, in that location. Your location for our hypothetical hike sounds interesting and wonderful. And I'm looking forward to being there in our imaginations. But I'm also interested in where this real life walk is taking place. As you answer the four questions that we are looking at today, and you look at the world that you exist in, the places that you travel, the people that you work with. What is the landscape um, that you see? Where is this journey taking place in the real world, do you think? Mm. Well, I think uh, every generation probably feels that they're at a pivotal time and all the rest because it's the most pivotal, pivotal time in their life, <laughs> in their one and only life. But uh, I think we're for more and more of us, it's becoming clear that the, we're not just dealing with a problem in the UK or the US related to Brexit or Donald Trump, as serious and real as these problems are. Um, we're, really deal, we're really at a kind of inflection point in how human beings live. Um, how we live with the earth is really fundamental. We have been living in an unsustainable way with the earth. We've been taking more than the earth can keep giving, and we've been pumping out more wastes and toxins and pollutants and all the rest than the earth can possibly detoxify and handle. But it's not just how we live with the earth. We're at an inflection point with how we live with each other. Um, and uh, our old ideas that uh, what's best for me as an individual is all I have to worry about. You know, that idea many of us were actually taught that it was an economic doctrine that pursuing your own self-interest will lead to the best future. Well, that's 
obviously not true, but even on top of that, our national interest, you know, in, on my side of the Atlantic, we've had this America first uh, nonsense, this idea that if it's, it's like saying that uh, if I'm in, in school in in uh, primary school, and I'm the classroom bully, that that's the best world we could imagine. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's just crazy. So on all these levels, we're having to rethink how we live. And then I think I'd also say how we live with ourselves, because so many of us are putting ourselves under just unsustainable stress. And, and we haven't learned how to hold our boundaries or how to set our priorities. And at the end of the day, I think it, it raises deep questions for us about what our belief is about ultimate reality, um, what many of us call God. And, and, uh, and we, we're starting to realize that our ideas of God have, it's not like we started with great ideas of God 50 or 100 or 200 years ago, that our ideas of God have been morphed and deformed um, by our history. And so we're trying to figure out what does it mean, as the prophet said in the Hebrew scriptures, to uh, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Thank you. Um, and the other choices around who we're taking with us on this walk. Um, I don't know if you have any people in mind. Um, we ask for um, one, three fellow travelers, one living, one dead, and one fictional. Well, my goodness. Um, so let me start with uh, someone from the past. Um, in the last couple of years, I have just become intrigued with a historical character named Hildegard uh, of Bingen. Um, Hildegard was a woman uh, in uh, about 100 years before St. Francis. So we're talking about, you know, the Middle Ages, uh, early Middle Ages. And, uh, and uh, Hildegard, here in a time when women were seen as such second-class citizens were hardly hardly even counted. It was so much a man's world. And the church was so, well, still is in so many places and ways, a, a man's club. Um, here she was, a brilliant, I mean, just an absolutely brilliant human being, uh, a, a, a mystic with deep insights into God that in many ways were 800 years ahead of her time. Um, a, a musician, she she was a, a, a incredible, incredibly creative person, also super gifted in art, in visual art. And um, so my goodness, it would be fun to uh, take her on a Sounds journey. Incredible. And uh, so that's why I keep, I keep trying to read about her and learn what I can about her. Um, and I am just so gifted with so many friends, but I'm going to uh, stick with the theme of, uh, uh, of women I'd love to be on this uh, journey with, because I think, um, I think that, that we need uh, to turn a corner uh, from especially white uh, straight men running everything to start listening to uh, women and people of color. But um, I think uh, that uh, uh, one of your uh, country women, uh, Jane Goodall would be someone I'd oh, love yeah. to take on the journey. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know that Jane is a woman of deep faith. Her, um, I remember her book years ago, Reason for Hope. She talked about her own, her own faith. But I, when I talked about living 
in a new way with the earth. She certainly manifests that. And I've always just found her an intriguing yeah. Wonderful person. stories to share on the way, I'd imagine. Uh, oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> and then if I were to say um, uh, a person, uh, a, a fictional person, um, oh, <clears throat> I... Uh, I wrote my uh, my master's thesis on a uh, an American novelist named uh, Walker Percy, and uh, Walker Percy has uh, this uh, uh, this uh, leading character in in a couple of his books, uh, who is just uh, named Binks Bowling, who is uh, just unhappy and unsatisfied with the world and is searching for something better. And he just sort of walks through life with this sense of this isn't working. I'm looking for something better. And uh, he'd be a fun person, uh, maybe a little depressing person sometimes, but but I think in a, a motivating person because he's just always looking for something better. Yeah. And what a gift to that character to hear the stories people like you and Jane Goodall and Hildegard would be sharing um that's great thank mm. you so much I'm really excited because I get to come too um so that feels like an excellent lineup for me so thank you I'm um, happy we'll have a we'll have a good we'll have a good hike that's yeah, for sure definitely um so having established um who we've got with us um we can move on to our first question which is how do you face change mm. I, you know, I grew up in a, a religious tradition where change was sort of a mistake. We believed that God was unchanging, and if the world, if the universe were in its proper mm -hmm. state, nothing would change. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I became unsatisfied with that at a pretty young age. And so um, I went through a kind of change uh, that that I, I think a lot of people have resisted really their whole lives, but I changed my attitude toward change. And um, so what I feel is that just as in life, we, we don't have it. It's not a choice between change and no change. It's a choice between change and stagnation. Mm -hmm. And then that leaves the question, then what kind of change are we seeking? So uh, I uh, years ago was inspired by an insight that comes from a, uh, scholarly community called process theology. And the way they say it is instead of thinking about God in the past, setting the universe in motion, think about God in the future, inviting us to come toward God in the future. Wow. And that in a sense, every new moment that comes in is giving us opportunities to move toward a better future mm -hmm. or a worse future. And so that sense that every new moment is an opportunity to move toward a better future uh, that, you know, that, and, and that that's encouraging because no matter how bad things get, we're only one turn away from the, our best option at that moment. Yeah. I think because we talk about um, God being present everywhere and um, going into yes. spaces and finding um, God and pointing God out. But that idea that, God is in the future calling us there um, asking us yes. to search for that future. Um, and that for me is a really helpful way of kingdom thinking as well. Um, yes. What do we want that to look like and how do we 
journey towards that and how do we change ourselves in a way that leads us to think about yeah what we want the future to look like that's really helpful it, and and it's really it's it it's um especially important maybe and challenging for people like me who were brought up with such a deep reverence for the bible and i love the bible but what um what i think happened to us is we had this idea that in bible times things were really great and they've been going downhill ever mm -hmm. since and so it sort of makes us have nostalgia for the past and resistance to change yeah. um, moving forward because we're worried that we'll keep sliding down the slippery slope. But I think there's another way of reading the Bible that says the people hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago in the Bible uh, gave us uh, visions of the future that are still ahead of us. So if we take the Bible seriously, then we listen to a vision like uh, uh, every person will sit under his or her vine and fig tree and no one will make them feel afraid. What a powerful vision that they're, they're, they, everyone has economic security, food security, housing security, and no one is living in fear. Well, if that is a vision that's given you by the Bible and that vision is out in the future, then we keep striving to. And we it. know it's never been. So of course it's the future. Of course it's, of course, it's our, <laughs> of course right. it's our trajectory. So what does living for that future yes. look like? Um, yeah. Oh, that's really well, good. <laughs> and, 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 and unfortunately, I think what happens so often is we, we postpone it to yeah. heaven. Um, and in fact, we say that that future is uh, it's unattainable on earth. And I'm sure it is unattainable in some perfect ideal sense. But but in the sense of a vision and a goal toward which we move, um, it it gives us a different set of uh, qualifications of what success and failure look like. And we get to see yeah. glimpses of it, don't we, in our everyday. And so oh pursuing yes. those glimpses so they're fuller and something that is experienced by everyone, I think, is a real motivation to change. Like you say, it's not about... Um, change is a mistake and it's not about um change or no change actually changes is, is yes. an absolute necessity and so it's asking what what we want to change <laughs> into um and being active in that's that right process. Um, in fact i i sometimes when i'm speaking to somewhat recalcitrant uh, church members um I remind them that the act of resisting change changes you into a more resistant person. Yeah. Yeah. And so in the act of resisting change, you are changing and might become something you don't really want to yeah. be, you know? So uh, yeah, it's inescapable, as you Thank say. Thank you. That's so helpful. Um, and so our next question, um, um, we've alluded to some of it in the conversation we've already had around um, what those around us experience and and I think the the pain that each of us feel and and what it looks like to to dream and hope of something better but I'm wondering for you what does it look like to move through suffering how do you move through suffering mm. <clears throat> um, you know in in many of our in many of our lives, uh, we 
suffering comes in episodes where we have a period of normalcy and then it's interrupted by some really significant suffering. Um, I think about a couple of periods in my life uh, when my wife and I were uh, just turning about 30, our uh, third born child was diagnosed with leukemia. So we went through three and a half days of daily chemotherapy and, and thanks be to God, he, he came through just fine and is now a uh, you know, big, tall, healthy uh, adult. Uh, but what happened, what I remember in that time when, when what seemed like normalcy was interrupted by this intensity of anxiety and, and concern and, and all the rest was that, um, that everything I had sort of preached and believed in suddenly turned out to be real, that being part of a community uh, that meant a lot to me in good times was really my sustenance in those difficult times. And that having this feeling that I could trust God to help whatever would happen. I, I know some people, when sickness comes their way, they believe that they can claim healing and everything will turn out. Well, I, I, I had been around too much, even by the time I was 30, to believe that. I knew that that uh, works for some people sometimes, but it never works for everybody all the time. And so what, what that led me to do is to say, whatever happens, I believe um, the strength will be available to deal with it. And, uh, and so I felt sustained, you know, by, by God's presence through that. I think of another intense period of suffering uh, in my life that uh, happened in the last uh, uh, 10 years, which was uh, first my father and then my mother descended into dementia and I became, uh, uh, you know, a primary caregiver um, for them and helping them with their affairs. And at that point, you know, it's going to be a long journey. And again, I, I, my, uh, my faith told me that what really matters is loving people and that of all the people we love, our parents are among the most important. And so I remember, uh, you know, uh, for at, at some point we had to put my parents in an assisted living facility because their needs were, were too great. And I, I, and so I would be driving there day after day after day to spend some time with them knowing that this had already gone on for years and would continue to go on for uh, quite a while. And I would just remind myself that the gift, it, it's a privilege, it's an honor to try to show some love to your parents and, um, and that, uh, that I would never regret those investments of time and care. So uh, those intense times of suffering, I, f I think we find uh, that, that if we're, we're, we're open, that we find comfort and strength, you know, to, to make it through. I think there's another kind of suffering about things that will not change in our whole lifetime. And I, I feel I'm still, I'm, I'm at a, a new point of learning about that because, uh, so for example, you know, the, the realities of climate change, I am one of those people who wakes up every morning and feels another day that our governments are failing us, another day that our political systems are failing us, another day that's putting my grandchildren's lives into greater danger. And that sadness and grief, uh, I'm learning, I, I don't want to deny it and push it away. And so uh, 
learning to hold that grief and not be overwhelmed by it is something that I feel is my learning process right now. Is there anything you've learned so far in that process? Like what are the practices maybe that you're leaning into in that yes. that are helping with that journey? I'm really, I'm, I'm thinking about this uh, almost constantly now um, because this is a, uh, something I want to try to put into writing over the next couple of years, Joe. But um, one thing I'm learning is that there is a, a, an alternative, like there's a left turn and a right turn that I don't want to take. I, um, you could say I could deviate from a path in one direction of optimism to say, oh, everything's going to be okay. Um, there, and I think we have an inborn bias that helps us deny negative reality um, it, to maintain comfortable illusions. So, I, and I understand that that's very tempting. And so I'll read one article that says, oh, here's a positive sign. And then something in me wants to say, okay, I can go back to my previously scheduled complacency. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I just don't think that's healthy. It makes me feel better, yeah. but I don't think it makes me a better person. The opposite is there is a turn you can take that leads you into despair where you say, oh, it's too late. There's nothing that can be done. So I might as well return to my previously scheduled complacency. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in a certain sense, optimism and pessimism lead to the same kind of complacency. Yeah. So I would say one practice is, is rejecting both of those and saying, I'm going to live in this moment. Um, and then uh, in this moment, I, I think two practices are helping me. One is to actually enjoy this moment. Uh, you know, the, the fact is life is always has an ending to it on this earth. And just because someday it's going to end doesn't mean we say, well, I'm not going to celebrate my birthday party or I'm not going to uh, I'm not I'm not going to enjoy this next meal. In a sense, knowing that life is limited makes us say, I'd really better enjoy this meal and I better enjoy this yeah. day and this opportunity to work. So enjoyment, I think, is one of those practices being in the present and savoring the gift of it. Um, and then I think the other is that action is, I think, one of the ways that we are sustained. So to say, what can we do about this yeah. today? What, who can I speak to about this today? Um, what, and, and sometimes we do our actions, not because we even think they're going to solve the problem, but because we think this is the right thing yeah. to do, whether it solves the problem or not. And so living with that sort of willingness to celebrate with even intense, more intense appreciation, because we know how fragile things are, and saying, I want to leverage whatever energy and time I have toward the best action I can. Those things together, I think, help yeah. me as well. That's really helpful. Um, so we use um, these four questions. Um, I'm sure you're aware they're based on the work of Alexander John Shire, and we use them with them. Um, a cohort of young adults each year as we um do a kind of a discipleship year in so rather than taking them out yes. out of their context and we leave them in their uni yes. in their workplace in their church in their homes um but try to ask these four questions in in sort of creative and 
and different ways. And one of the things that ends up being one of the things that practices that we find really helpful is that noticing. Um, it's noticing yes. how you're feeling, um, noticing what is going yes. on around you, um, noticing the everyday and realizing that none of them happen alone, do they? So yes. in the darkest moments, there's still joy. And in the best moments, yes. there can still be an undercurrent of grief and pain, but none of them negate the other. They they so exist well and they feed from one another. But I think that practice of noticing um, that you talked about and leaning into those mm. moments of joy and and then name, but also naming the pain is is really really important yes. and really helpful. Um, it, and it strikes me, Joe, just how wise Alexander was to articulate these questions and for you all to to be using them uh, in this way. It also reminds us that we have we don't have a choice about what happens to us. We don't have a choice about what period of history we're born in. We don't have a choice about, the, you know, the people of Ukraine didn't have a choice that uh, Vladimir Putin decided to invade their country, right? There's so many things that are outside of our, our, our control. But the fact that we have a choice on what we concentrate on and what we think about and what questions we ask ourselves, yeah. and those, that, those are the realms of practice that have so much effect on, the, uh, on our well-being. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so now we get a little um, break from the questions and it's um, a chance for us to make another choice. Um, and part of me thinks we're not even going to need this because the conversation is going to be great. But just in case it, we do mm -hmm. get tired or there's a steep section in our walk and we need to catch our breaths, um, <laughs> <laughs> what's the soundtrack for the walk? What are we listening to as we hike? Yes. Well, you know, I uh, I have a deep appreciation for improvisation, and uh, so anything that involves improvisation, I think it, I just find super interesting. Um, I, and uh, so, for example, I just came home from uh, something called the Wild Goose Festival mm -hmm. here in the U.S., which was really um, modeled after the Greenbelt Festival in the U.K. And uh, and one of my favorite things uh, that happens there is they have a drum circle, and uh, and to just be in the presence of people who are improvising to a rhythm, uh, it just inspires me. So I would say getting some improvisational music going along. So would, would that be, be a pretty, bit of a jazz vibe? Thing. Is that the kind of, or you hear that in some of the best gospel music as well, don't you? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, you know, I, I'm a big lover of jazz, so uh, I, I'd be happy if we had some jazz or even blues improvisation going on. That would be great. Um, uh, but uh, I'm especially thinking of the improv that happens in a drum circle where somebody starts a rhythm and then all kinds of people add to it. And then it might start to speed up or slow down and take on a life of its own. And the rhythm just seems to go through a kind of, uh, uh, the, the interaction of all the people yeah. uh, 
leads to something that you never could have uh, scripted at the yeah. beginning. So, and it's so it becomes more than just the improvisation, doesn't it? It becomes the creation of a community and finding resonance in the sounds right. one another are making. Um, in fact, I think when I've been when I participated in in that sort of thing, that's part of what it is. It's this feeling like I really have. I make some noise here. I make. <laughs> I contribute to the sound. I'm not in charge of it, um, I, but I'm a, a real yeah. player in it, and and I belong. And that sense of belonging is, I think, uh, of all the many inexplainable, unexplainable delights of music especially when you're making music is the sense that I'm part of something. I I'm really here. I really belong. It's, and it expresses me, but it's way bigger than me. I'm part of something bigger that emerges from our willingness to, uh, to create together. And as an aside, I just watched um, Bohemian Rhapsody. Have you seen it? Um, film about uh, Queen. Yes, yes. And there's yes. that moment where Brian May yes. comes in and he's like, I want the fans to be able to join in. I want them to be part of the yes. music. And that's how that beat for yes. um, We Will Rock You comes about, which yes, has remained yes. an anthem in any stadium ever, hasn't it? And it's <laughs> something right. that you start. And so even my children who, well, they do know about Queen now, but long before they knew about Queen, because they're a whole different generation, still had this familiarity with a beat that they could join in with and, be a part of and yeah and it and it's one of the the things that is enduring about that band isn't it that they invited their fans it's to so be true. a part of their music um yeah two two stomps and yeah. the clap and and everybody knows, knows here's where we're <laughs> yeah, yeah it's brilliant <laughs> um and now we move on to our um next question so um brian how do you receive joy Yes. So I uh, actually, one of the ways is yeah. music, um, because uh, that's certainly been a big part of my life. But, you know, for me, the deepest uh, uh, dimension of this always involves getting outdoors and just feeling the logic and the beauty and the harmony and the interaction of the created world. Um, last summer, I was out in the desert in the American West and I was uh, a little group of us were taking a walk with a botanist and uh, we're going through, it looks like a, you know, it's a desert. It's very dry. It's very harsh, but there's so much life. Yeah. And she'd point to a plant, a very common plant called the sagebrush. And she'd point to this plant and she'd say, just start talking to us about the plant, how in the winter, uh, because it's desert, there's not a lot of precipitation, but a little bit of snow might fall. And that snow blows around the, the sage plant, you know, the, the, cause it's windy, the, the snow collects. Well, guess what? When the snow collects there and it melts, then it waters the roots of the sage brush. And then because there are roots holding moisture for the whole year, that little plant is holding moisture in the desert. And so all kinds of animals that need moisture, that's the place they go. And, uh, and then we came upon a, a little flower. Um, and she said, I've, I've never seen that flower 
blossoming during the day. It almost always blossoms during the night. And then she said, why would a, why would a flower blossom during the night? Well, it turns out there's one moth that pollinates that flower. And the moth and the flower are completely dependent on each other. And, um, and as we walk through the, this desert, we just felt the interconnectedness of everything. And it relates a little bit to what we were saying about the uh, about music and playing a part in music. You start to feel that the whole world has that kind of participatory, interactive, related, harmonious, rhythmic connection. And uh, I, that's just an, a gift that brings me joy. Uh, any time, even if it's I'm driving somewhere and I arrive in my car and I step out and I just in the, the five minutes from my car to the building I'm going, I notice the tree and the lawn and the, uh, and, and the wind and the birds. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a great, it's, it's the background music uh, to yeah. my life. And, um, one of the chapters that I really loved of your, um, latest book, um, Do I Stay Christian, was um, about going wild and rewilding yes. and, and capturing yes. um, the splendor of, of creation. And I wonder if you've got any thoughts about how we can do that collectively uh, as, a, as people of faith and as we invite people into that into that joy that we can experience in those spaces like are there things places and spaces where you've seen that done really well as others mm. have been invited to experience that kind of joy and it's ignited something different about faith and church and Jesus yes yes well you know it's interesting we mentioned green belt and wild goose festival and part of the appeal of events like this is that even if you're under a tent in the hot sun, you're, you don't have walls and, 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 and your feet are, are not on cement. Um, and I just think this is part of the deficit that so many human beings feel. What if we're really made for communion with our fellow creatures? And what if we're, we're, we're made that, what if human beings aren't enough? Mm -hmm. And what if man-made structures are not enough? We need to be in structures and, and in contact with an environment that uh, speaks to us of life. And, and so the need to bring people into experiences like, uh, like these, I just think it's very, very great. And, and isn't it interesting that this is really what Jesus did in a certain sense, um, you know, he, the Sermon on the Mount is really the mountainside festival <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because people come and there's, and there's food and there's uh, a chance to learn and conversation and the whole journey of getting there and leaving. And so uh, I, I think this is far more, more important than, than people realize. Sometimes it's as simple as sitting on the beach and noticing the tide come in and then noticing the tide go out. And then as you're watching wave after wave and the change of the tide, you're thinking about your life and you're realizing whatever I'm going through right now, it will pass, the, the tide will go out and 
things will change. And uh, there's just a way that this beautiful earth uh, speaks to us. Um, I can't tell you how many people have shared with me because I, I write about this and in Do I Stay Christian? I had that chapter rewilding. They just come and start telling me their stories like, and, and so often their stories involve a tree <laughs> <laughs> and they, they sat under a tree and they noticed things and, oh my goodness, it's, it's, uh, it's part of human life that, that, and people don't, religious people don't need to worry that that's competing with the Bible. It's actually the Bible that tells us to go learn a lesson from the ants walking uh, through the grass and go learn a lesson from the starry sky that's telling us something. And so, um, and when yeah. Jesus told his stories that were um, rooted in either nature or people's experience, he was talking about things that were happening that he could see and that were people were able oh to experience goodness. there and then. So each of those lessons were alive, weren't they? Because they were grounded. Whereas they really we were. tend to cut people off from there every day and bring them into a yes. into a place that's different than where they would experience any of those other things and try to remind them of yes. what's happening in the big wide world rather than being able to see it in that moment with our eyes and experience it and feel it and taste it and touch it and all of those things yes yeah so true. and we know so, so much true. about education way... now don't we and and what we need to learn but and how we all <laughs> learn differently but translating those practices into um our discipleship journeys we've been somewhat slower with that i would suggest as you say that it reminds me i one of the blessings of my life is that i was born uh, way out in the country um, and uh, in the state of New York, not, not New York city, but out in the country and in the state of New York and where, where I was born, I discovered that there was this little salamander um, that uh, liked to live in the grass that came up to the foundation of our house. Okay. And I have this memory of being four years old and going around the edge of my house and pulling the grass back from the edge of the house and discovering th these salamanders. And, and it was this sense of discovery and curiosity. And then I found out there was a little creek next to our house. And I, I, I was very young. I didn't know what a fossil was. I had no way of understanding, but almost every rock had fossil. Wow. You could see fossils of shells from an ancient sea. And, uh, and from such a young age in my outdoor experiences, it engendered curiosity mm -hmm. that there's so much to learn. And, uh, and it's so fun for me now as a grandfather, I, I was trying to explain fossils to one of my granddaughters and I told her, I picked up a rock and showed it to her. I said, this rock tells a story from long ago. And I tried to explain it to her and her eyes got big. And so for a long period of time, she pick up a rock and run to me and say, what story does this tell? <laughs> <laughs> and I felt so good that her curiosity yeah. had been awakened. Yeah. And I think, um, so we're talking about joy and, but as I've reflected on all of our conversation, I think a curiosity has been one of those themes that's yes. really strong through all of that. Um, 
in terms of how we face change and how we experience suffering actually being curious about what else there is um and and there's yes. a joy that's inherent in curiosity i think um so that's um a really i th- that i think no i'm, go I'm sorry on, please. i didn't mean to interrupt well i was just going to say i i i think you know i i've in this book do i stay christian i have a chapter where i talk about biases mm-hmm. and um and I, I, to make them memorable, I found a way to express them all starting with the letter C. So there's uh, confirmation bias and there's comfort bias and uh, there's uh, community bias. And biases are ways that we keep ourselves from seeing the truth by staying within some comfortable uh, zone. It, it, it's, it's the way we shield ourselves from uncomfortable or inconvenient truths. Uh, but there's another word that starts with C, which is curiosity, that in many ways is our is our only path out of our biases, the bubble of our biases. And, and, and curiosity is also a path out of hostility. Because if someone says something that bothers me, I either want to retreat or attack <laughs> and tell them how wrong they are. But if instead I can become curious, I wonder why they think that. I wonder where they got that idea. Uh, it, it puts me in a different mode where I can continue to learn, just as you say. Yeah, thank you. Um, and as time ticks away, we're walking, we're talking, we're getting hungry. What are you bringing for us in the snack bag? Well, listen, you're asking me this on the right day because uh, where I live in Florida, um, I have uh, mango oh, trees wow. in my yard. and. Um, we are at the peak of mango mm. season. And oh my goodness, uh, I think I've gained eight pounds <laughs> in the last two months just because I can't, uh, you know, I, I can't say no. Um, and so I'm going to bring some fresh, ripe uh, mangoes that just came off my tree. Oh my gosh, that is um, brilliant. I and, can smell them. Uh, I will them. share them with everybody again. <laughs> I can already <laughs> smell them. It's incredible. <laughs> I love a fresh mango. <laughs> um, normally, I'm a chocolate yes. girl, but um, I think for fresh mango, norm yeah. Normally, if someone suggests, uh, well, I'm a chocolate. I, I, I'm a chocolate person too. So mangoes and chocolate sounds, sounds like a pretty like an good combination. Conversation. Normally, <laughs> if I was being fobbed off with fruit, I'd be pretty angry. But I know just how good a fresh mango tastes, so I'm actually very happy. <laughs> very happy with that choice. <laughs> um. And so we move on to our final question. And again, I think you've already touched on this in so many of your answers. And I think the curiosity thing is really interesting for me because um, you wrote, started writing because you're curious and you started writing out of your experience of change and, and putting those thoughts and putting those curiosities into the world has been part of your service. But um, I'm wondering for you how you would articulate that. How would you articulate how you have matured in service? You know, uh, one of my mentors uh, years ago, probably this is 25 or 30 years ago, this mentor just passed away um, last year. Uh, and he was 20 years older than me. And he said to me, 
Brian, in my 20s, I thought I was good at everything. And in my third, by the time I turned 30, I found out there were some things I was really not good at. Said so, so I spent my 30s trying to get good at the things that I wasn't good at. And by the time I hit 40, I found out I was never going to get good at those things. <laughs> so I said, so I spent my 40s trying to concentrate on the things I was good at so that in my 50s and 60s, I could be good at the things I was good at. <laughs> and I think part of what's happened to me through the years mirrors that because I think um, uh, we all have to do what's asked of us at any given moment, whether we're good at it or not, you know? Uh, and, uh, but then through the time we find out, but you know, there's, there's some areas where I maybe are, are my forte and I have a unique contribution to make. So for each of us to become comfortable, first to say, I don't have to be good at everything. And what's demanded of me at any moment, I'll do my best at, even if it means failing. And if I fail, at least I tried, right? And I tried to do what was needed. But then to say, but I'm getting a better sense of what my unique con contribution is. And that's where I'll try to, to make it. One of the hard parts of this for me was that I was a pastor for 24 years. And as our church grew, we had to build a staff and a more complicated organization. And I developed a lot of organizational savvy. Uh, I, uh, and almost every bit of it I developed was by making mistakes and doing things wrong and unintentionally hurting people. So um, uh, I'm at a stage in my life now where I, I don't want to run anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, but I want to do everything I can to encourage people and help people who are in the middle of trying to run things because I know know how hard yeah. it is so I think you're right that figuring out what are being competent to do everything yeah. <laughs> um is is a yeah. really important or seeking competency at least um yes but also finding those things that are ours and the spaces that we can move into yeah. that God has for us how did you start to identify those what what can we proactively do um to find those things that are for us yes one of my uh, a person a theologian and thinker who i just have fallen more deeply uh into appreciation of is howard thurman uh, uh he was an african-american uh, theologian who had a huge influence on uh, martin luther mm -hmm. king and um, Howard Thurman said, um, uh, you know, don't just ask what the world needs, but ask what gives you joy and makes you come alive. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And uh, I think we live between those tensions of what does the world need and what, what makes me come alive. And um, and, and I think Thurman is, is trying to say to us, if you just link yourself only to the what does the world need question, you may never find what makes you come alive. And so uh, I think one of the things that helped me was to acknowledge what are the things I do that the more I do them, uh, I actually am more energized. I find more uh, 
I, I, the, the expenditure of energy actually creates energy. And you know, those, I think that finding, finding that and staying sensitive to that is, uh, ha- has helped me. I wonder if sometimes um, there's the sort of Puritan Christian tradition, isn't there, where um, we talk a lot about sacrifice and duty. Yes. Um, all of which I absolutely agree are a key component of yes. faith and discipleship. But I wonder if in overemphasizing those and and removing the pursuit of joy <laughs> um, and life yes. from what we do, we can sometimes miss those spaces that we're we're called into. I'm so glad you you, you said that because. In many ways, well, I think about this, just you as a a woman, uh, me as a man, through so much of our history, men took the center stage and women's job was to make men's lives easier, you know? Uh, And and so the system itself told women, your voice, your dreams, your aspirations, your gifts, what makes you come alive is way, way less important. And then I think about how through how much how through so much of recent history over the last five centuries, white people acted as if what makes them come alive matters, and people of color were just accessories to their pleasure and their happiness. And part of what I think that insight helps me realize is that if I love my neighbor as I love myself, then I'm asking what helps me come alive. And I'm also asking what helps my neighbor come alive rather than just uh, either assuming that my life doesn't count or others' lives don't count to hold those in this beautiful balance. And I think that's maybe the best outcome of all when I'm waking up each morning sensitive to what helps me come alive and everyone I meet to think I want that same joy for them. In Faith After Doubt, you talk about harmony, don't you, as that that kind of fourth stage of of faith. And and for you, that really is about the pursuit of the inclusion of everyone and about finding not just harmony in terms of who you are in your relationship with God and your understanding of your faith. But as we actively pursue Jesus, we find what it means to view everyone as, as part of that, that harmony and the pursuit of that harmony for everybody. And I found that really helpful. (laughs) Um, Oh, I'm so glad, you know, these last two books I wrote faith after doubt and do I stay Christian in many ways, what I'm I'm hoping at this stage in my life, I I can that my contribution can be to invite people to say the version of Christianity or the version of life that uh, that you have been trained very hard to uh, live into might be wonderful, but there might even be something better if you keep your eyes open and and that this is part of what life involves moving into, well, having our heart grow bigger and having our vision grow bigger. And uh, 
that that's uh, it, it's a, I'll just say I, I'm as a guy in my late 60s, uh, life, when you feel that life is getting bigger as you get older, that's a, uh, that's a beautiful yeah, thing. What a joy. Thank you so much. Um, I'm aware you've got more to do. Um, and I'm so thankful for what you've shared with us today. I hope the rest of okay. your day goes really well. Um, but yeah, really grateful for the time that you've given us today. Thank you so much. I'm so thankful to Ryan for coming on the All Terrain podcast and joining us for that hypothetical hike. Talking with Ryan was such a pleasure and I'd encourage you to check out his work in greater depth, not least with a read of his latest work, um, Do I Stay Christian? Ryan says that there's a way to say yes and no to that question by shifting the focus from whether we stay Christian to how we stay human. And maybe do I say Christian is the question you're asking, or maybe it's a question someone that you love is asking. And this book could help you explore those themes in a really helpful way. You may want to gather a group to read together and use the questions that Brian asks at the end of each chapter to develop your own thoughts. We'd also love to hear what you think about Brian's work, about the podcast episode today, or any of our other episodes too. And you can join in the conversation on Facebook by searching the all-terrain conversations and joining our group there we also have brilliant sketch notes and articles that accompany each episode and you can find those by searching for the all-terrain podcast or clicking the link in the episode description thank you so much for listening please don't forget to share the podcast across your social media channels and if you're listening on apple podcast we'd love it if you could give the show a rating or write us a review All those things help us get the show heard by even more people. I'll be back next time with another guest who will be facing the four choices, answering the four questions and sharing their wisdom learned along the way on the All Terrain podcast.